Dave Kings, our executive pastor, he has a great message for us uh, that is just going to move us a step ahead in this whole uh, freedom project concept. So, Dave, come on up. Oh, then we have fantastic worship today. It's going to be, it's going to blow you away. But, uh, Dave, come on up. Dave has a great message. Let's welcome Dave. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you. I want to take just a moment just to see where the sunburned faces are out there from yesterday, outworking a few of you. You know, when you're out in the sun, you get the sunburn. There's also that, wow, I'm kind of tired today, the day after. So I totally understand that. I will not take it personal, like if you just kind of get a little drowsy, but okay. How many of us, as we think about the advice we received from our parents... That now that we're adults, that that advice just flows out of us. You know, the kind of stuff that we'll say it or think, and it's like, oh, wow, I sound like my parents. You know, even when I was asking you about any sunburned faces, that whole advice always put on your sunscreen when you're going out. I was doing some checking this week of the things that people have heard as children and the advice that they follow now. Here are a few things that I heard. Don't go outside with wet hair. You may catch a cold. Don't eat unbaked cookie dough. Do you know why you don't do that? Worms. You'll get worms if you eat it. Always clean your plate at mealtime. Don't stick your tongue on metal in the winter. Change your underwear before leaving the house because you may be in an accident. Other advice includes be kind, work hard, save your money, retrace your steps. And that can have two meanings, is that if you want to be a person who's very thorough, is that you can retrace your steps to make sure everything's taken care of. Or retrace your steps can mean that if you tend to lose things, that you have to walk back and retrace your steps so you can find something. Have you ever wondered why our parents or grandparents or teachers or coaches were or are so free to give advice? I believe they give the advice because they really want us to succeed in life. Is that they want us to succeed and head in a right direction. And the definition of success varies in so many ways based on our lifestyles, the things that we've had modeled to us from generation to generation. The spiritual leader John who wrote many letters to churches, had an idea of what success looks like. And he prayed this for the readers of his letter. He said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. The word prosper in this context has a a meaning of a continuous success or a continuous well-being that just continues to progress and move forward in life. And it's intended for every area of our life, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and materially. See, God is the one who initiates this success. It's his work. Stephen Silva, who wrote a book, Money and the Prosperous Soul, which we're following closely as a staff as we're going through this Freedom Project series, explains more of what God's intention or definition of success looks like in us. He writes, success in God's terms is defined entirely by becoming a certain kind of person. In fact, by becoming like Christ. God has put his own eternal DNA in us, and it is replicating a pattern within us, the likeness of his son. 
no matter how imperceptible or slight or subtle that likeness may be at any point in our lives, it is growing, expanding, and developing continually. God has a definition of success for us. It's to become like Jesus. God's advice to us is become like Jesus. In your attitudes, with your actions, then your feelings, your possessions, become like Jesus. And the good news is that God has worked this reality within us that He has placed us in Jesus. And the good news about that is that as He's placed us in Jesus, we are already like Jesus. He has placed us in Jesus. He has done this work in us. And we are like Jesus. And as we continue just to walk out that reality, that reality gets worked through us and in us, and it begins to flow out. And increasingly, that reflects our lives. Our lives reflect Jesus. You and I are like Jesus. And as we grow in that reality, we have to throw off those old patterns, those old mindsets, those old ways of thinking and behaving that hold us back. And the story of Ahaz and Hezekiah, two Old Testament kings, really are good examples of this. The story of both kings take place in the Old Testament. You can read about them in Second Chronicles chapters 28 through 32. Over the next several weeks, we're going to focus primarily on chapters 29 through 32. But I want to back up one chapter to tell the story of Ahaz. Ahaz and Hezekiah are father and son. And Ahaz really sets a bad example. In fact, the introduction to his story goes like this. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king of Judah, and he ruled from Jerusalem for 16 years. Ahaz disobeyed the Lord and was as sinful as the kings of Israel. He made idols of the god Baal, and he offered sacrifices in Hinnom Valley. And basically, Hinnom Valley was the city dump where there was a fire burning continuously. And they were burning trash, and they would burn dead animals. And so in this place of the dump, of the burning, Ahaz took a step further. Worst of all, Ahaz sacrificed his own sons, which was a disgusting custom of the nations that the Lord had forced out of Israel. It's not a good opening for a resume, is it? Here's a a king who has come from a family that had served God for years. His grandfather had served God. His father, Jotham, had served God. And at a young age, Ahaz determines in his mind and his heart that he's going to pursue a different direction. That he's going to follow a pattern that is totally separate from what God has intended. You see, he lost sight of what the Bible says, that he lost sight of who he was in the eyes of God. And as you read through those those chapters, you'll notice from time to time, and and throughout the book of Kings and 2 Chronicles, you'll notice the phrase, in the eyes of the Lord. You see, there's that identity that God has for us. He has a sight and a plan for success for us, and we can lose sight of that. And that's what happens to Ahaz. Instead of focusing on the reality of his worth, his significance coming from God, he pursued an illusion of success that was filled with lies. Lies such as, 
I am more powerful away from God than I am with Him. Or I will find security in the actions that I take and the accomplishments I achieve. And this really shows up in His worship of idols, of things made by hands of people. There's something in His thinking that those items where He can focus His time and His energy and His resources are going to give Him more success than God. Or the lie that someone other than God will take care of me. And this shows up in the example of Ahaz going to the nation of Syria to receive help. And in the reign of Ahaz, who reigned in the nation of Judah, things are a mess. So while he's reigning, Judah is here. And out of the north, there are two nations that go in and raid the country. And one nation takes lots of prisoners of war, while the other nation just causes lots of casualties. In fact, three of the cabinet members of Ahaz's group are killed. And so Ahaz is seeing this, and he's thinking, well, maybe I need some help here. And so he appeals to the nation of Syria, which is a superpower at the time. So he goes to Assyria and says, hey, we could really use some help over here. Will you come help us? And Assyria says, sure, we'll help you, but can you give us a gift first? Well, sure, I'll give you a gift. And so he gives a gift. And so while he's negotiating with the nation of Assyria, two other nations in the south come in and start raiding the other parts of Judah. So Assyria says, hey, we're coming, and they begin to roll in with their armies, and they come in and they say, hey, we need more money. We need more money. And Ahaz pays it out of the national treasury. But after a while, he becomes so indebted to Assyria that he totally depletes the national treasury. And to pay them, to continue to pay them, he goes into the temple of God and begins to remove items used in worship and begins to to give them away, the gold and the silver. So he is really in financial debt to Assyria. But there's also a piece that happens beyond just the financial, is that when a nation went in an agreement or borrowed money, or borrowed help, or received anything from Assyria, there was an obligation that that nation would begin to to serve foreign gods. They would serve the gods of Assyria. So now Ahaz has not only stepped into financial and spiritual bondage and debt, he's also led a nation into it. Instead of seeing problems developing... Instead of seeing the spiritual and financial bondage that is happening, instead of turning away from the patterns he's followed year after year, this is what he does instead. He hangs on to the old belief, the old pattern. And Second Chronicles 28 tells us that even after all these terrible things happened to Ahaz, he sinned against the Lord even worse than before. Ahaz collected all the furnishings of the temple and smashed them to pieces. Then he locked the doors to the temple and set altars to foreign gods on every street corner in Jerusalem. So in essence, what he's saying, I want nothing to do with God. I want nothing to do with God's presence. I'm walking away. We're shutting the doors of access to worship to God. And he did that not only for himself, but for the entire nation. There is one pattern that Ahaz continued to follow of his father, and that is to have a co-leadership or co-kingship. Because there was a period of time where Jotham and Ahaz reigned together as kings. 
So Ahaz decides to do this with his young son, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is a very young boy when he comes into this co-reign relationship, this co-kingship. And so day after day, he's watching the behaviors and the patterns of his dad. Day after day, he's hearing the words that are being said. He's, he's seeing the fear. He's seeing the rebellion against God. And there comes a point when Ahaz dies, and at 25 years old, Hezekiah comes in as king, the lone king of Judah. And then he faces a choice. Am I going to continue the patterns of my dad, or am I going to break away and and go a different path? So he decides to do the different path and cleans up his dad's mess. And so his resume reads differently from his dad's. And 2 Chronicles shows us that Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. The biblical writer doesn't even mention the relationship with Ahaz, but he mentions the relationship with King David. David was Hezekiah's ancestor, and David is this guy who loved God with everything that he had, all parts of him. He worshiped God extravagantly. And that's who Hezekiah is linked with, not Ahaz. So the writer is basically saying this Hezekiah dude is following a good pattern. Another biblical writer has this to say about Hezekiah, that the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He refused to remain indebted to Assyria. He refused to follow the the idols and to worship the idols, but instead turned his focus back to God. He realized that his security and his worth, his significance, came from his relationship with God. And, And enjoying that interacting relationship with God is what brought the prosperity into his life. He prospered because of that relationship. Stephen De Silva emphasizes the change that occurs when people begin to step out of old patterns and into new ones. He writes, Something powerful happens when you fix your gaze on the one whose image you are made. You realize that his life is working out a divine purpose within you. It's working out a divine purpose in you. And that purpose is greater and more powerful than any weakness, any lie, any scheme, or any obstacle. And Hezekiah gets busy living out that divine purpose, and he encourages the people of Judah to get busy living out their divine purpose. Now let's read what Hezekiah did in Second Chronicles chapter 29. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. 
They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him, to minister before him and burn incense. So a number of things that Hezekiah did. And the first thing is that he opened the door of the temple. And it's more than just reopening a, a damaged building. It's opening a place of invitation. It's an invitation to say, people of Judah, come in and begin to fulfill what you were made for. We were made for worship. And as these doors swing open, God says, welcome back. And as we enter into that worship, we experience the significance of who we are. Is that we were created to worship. We are fulfilling for what we are made for. The other thing is that he challenged the mentality of the leaders. The Levites and the priests, the main responsibilities those groups had was to lead people in worship. And they had become so in bondage to the beliefs of Ahaz that the daily experience of God's abundance, the abundant joy, the abundant provision, the abundant relationship that comes in relating to God had just had melted away. But God is inviting them back into that experience. And he's using Hezekiah to say, step into that abundance again. He challenged them to break with the old patterns, to break with the patterns of Ahaz, to consecrate themselves or set themselves apart, which basically means to refocus your attention on God, refocus your attention on who you are in Him. And he says, we as a nation, we've been uh, floundering for a while. Even the other nations around us are, are booing and hissing us. But as we refocus on God's abundance and his beauty, as we worship him, as we minister to him, as we serve him, we're going to experience abundant blessing. So the Levites rise to the challenge and break the patterns of bondage. And as you're reading in chapter 29 of Second Chronicles, you'll notice a list of names. And the names are there, one, to, just to honor these people who helped in rebuilding and repairing the temple. But the names are also there as a reminder to the readers, the readers at the time, as well as us, that there's something that is very significant when people gather together in corporate worship and individually out of God's abundance begin to give, and then corporately together out of God's abundance begin to receive and to give and to walk in that natural flow of that abundance. The story of Ahaz and Hezekiah brings us to these questions. Where are the patterns of my life taking me? Am I living a prosperous life? What patterns do I need to break? What patterns do I need to break? Do I need to break free from the mentality of 
not prospering? Do I need to break free from those things that have said about me or, or things that are modeled to me that just keep me from prospering? As many of you know, I'm from southeastern Kentucky originally. And I slip into my accent once in a while. I'm a little tired. I'm not too tired today, but I slip into my accent. You know, as soon as I said that I'm from southeastern Kentucky, I'm sure there were some images of that part of the country that that came to mind, weren't there? A pastor friend of mine that pastored in southeastern Kentucky said, You know, we in southeastern Kentucky had no idea that we were poor until someone from the outside came and told us we were poor is that there was a mindset among the the hill people of southeastern Kentucky that was prosperous. They were happy. Their provisions were there. They were free. Their relationships were good. But as soon as someone came in and says, you were poor, that shifted. We have to break free from the mentality that keeps us from prospering. Do I need to break free from the compartmentalizing of my life? The compartmentalizing of my life. And as some church people would say, dividing the sacred from the secular. (laughs) Dividing the sacred from the secular really means basically that we compartmentalize our lives. We have this segment and then we have this segment. Is that there is that God piece. You know, this is the God segment is that we'll go to church. We may help out or serve a little. We may give a little money, and then we step out into the other segment or compartment of our lives, either school or work, of investing our time and our energy and our hobbies, spending our money on the things that we consider as important. But the truth is there is no division. It's all God's. All that we are and all that we have, it's all God's. There's no separation. You know, it's even easy for us to even compartmentalize aspects of our following Jesus. One of our staff members this week, as we were praying about the Freedom Project and, and just talking with each other, he said, I just sensed that God was speaking to me about how I compartmentalize what he can do. He said, you know, it's easy for me to, to believe God that he is going to use us for healing, that he's activating us into a more of an active healing presence in the community. And using us. He says, but I, I'm, I'm having a tough time trusting God that he wants to make us into generous givers. He said, but what I'm learning and what God is speaking to me, that I can trust him with, with it all. God wants to do it all. God wants to do it all. He can bring it all together. And as God brings it all together, he begins to pour out blessing on us that as individuals and as a church, he is wanting to bless us for us to receive all that he has for us so that flow comes out of us out. It's what God's heart is. Do I need to break free from lies about security? Let me tell you the story of the Red Chevette. How many of you remember the car, the Chevette? There's a few of you out there. How many of you have no idea what a Chevette is? Okay, I know you're out there. That's okay. I'm going to help you out because I brought a picture of a Chevette. Spectacular car. There you go. I'm going to take it 
one step further and show you my Chevette. I was in college there. I had a friend who was, uh, we were in Bible college over in Price Hill, the largest part of the city that has a lot of hills. And we both owned Chevettes. I had the, the beautiful red one and he had a gorgeous brown one. And the cars would take turns breaking down. And there was one time that my car was running and his stopped. He said, hey, Dave, can you give me a tow up to the garage just up the hill? And I said, sure. How are we going to do that? He says, I have a nylon cord. So he brought out one of those yellow nylon cords and tied it on my bumper, tied it on his bumper. And up one of the hills in Price Hill we go to the garage. Now, I can highly recommend those yellow tow cords if you're towing a Chevette. So just wanted to let you know. And so there was this period that it, several times, it really, mine would work, his wouldn't. His would work, mine wouldn't. And it was one of those particular periods that mine was, was broken down. And I was in school full-time, and Sharon, my wife, was working uh, full-time for minimum wage. And we had saved money from our previous jobs and with the intention that I would finish school as quickly as I could and, and get out and work. But our savings were, were quickly dwindling. And I struggled. I had this pattern in my life that I'd just worry. I would worry about everything, but particularly about finances. And this is one of these particular periods that I'm worrying about how we're going to pay for things. So I had a couple of guys come over and just pray with me. And during the course of praying for me, I just sensed God speaking to me that, David, you know in your mind. Dave, you know in your head that I'll provide for you. But in your heart, you do not believe that I'm your dad and love you. You don't believe that I love you as a dad who will take care of you. And in that moment, during that prayer time, it was like God had shot an arrow to my heart. And I said, hey, guys, this is what's happening. This is just what I sense God saying to me, and they said, hey, you're right. And they prayed for him, and as they prayed, something broke. Is that I'd had this pattern that had been entrenched, that I had been living in. And since that time, I've been heading the right direction. I've been heading in this idea that God really does love me as my dad, and that he desires to prosper me and not to harm me. And as I continue to pursue that, that focus... As I head in that right direction, I'm living at peace. Last week, Van, in his message, made a statement. We can live fully funded lives. That is, we will have everything we need to do what God calls us to do. I can lead a fully funded life. I will have everything that I need to do what God calls me to do. And that statement is so true. But it's so easy for us to fall back into patterns of fear and, and wrong thinking. To somehow as we begin to step out and enjoy the reality of God's work in our lives is that we just fall back into the, the comfortable routine. We fall back into those patterns just like we fall back into those couches or chairs that are so comfortable. You have them at your house. You know the ones that you sit down in and it's like, wow, this is so comfortable. 
And the more you sit in that spot, the more comfortable it becomes. And it just fits the contours of your body so nicely. Comfortable chairs. But what begins to happen as the more that, that comfortableness begins to wear into that piece of furniture? What's it like trying to get out of that piece of furniture? It's tough. And it's, that's the way it is in the patterns of thinking and behavior that we're in is that we become so comfortable or go back to what is familiar. That even when God is calling us to change, it's like we resist it or we find it difficult. We hang on to the lies. Lies such as something has to go wrong because I'm feeling way too good. It's a lie. I'm afraid of failing. Or I'm afraid of succeeding. Or I'm worthless. Or I will always be the poor one in the family. Or things and problems will never change. Or younger people will be chosen over me. Or older people will be chosen over me. Or the more educated or more experienced will be chosen over me. All of these can be lies that we we settle into. But let's break free from the mentality that keeps us from from moving forward. Let's break free from compartmentalizing our lives and say, God, all of it's yours. Let's break free from the lies that hold us back. I ran across a prayer while preparing this message. It's actually in the book that I'm reading by Stephen De Silva. And I would like to read portions of the prayer to you, but I would like to add some of my own statements. So if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes with me. And as I pray this prayer out loud, I'd invite you to pray it silently in your hearts. Father, I recognize some patterns that have created destructive forces in my life. And I recognize that you did not teach me these things but that I have learned them from people and events that have touched my life. And right now, and I just say open your hearts to to God speaking this to you. He's going to bring some, some names of people to mind or images of people to mind. That right now, God, I choose to forgive that person who has modeled wrong patterns to me. God, I forgive him or her, and I release them into your hands. And right now, I release those events. Again, some events that, that have happened in your life that have set some things in motion, that have set you on a course that hasn't been the best for you, that wasn't God's heart for you. I release those events. And right now, God, I turn away from that, that event. I ask you, Father, to chop away the lies at the root and to sever their effects in my life. God, cut away the lies that have affected my family's history and that has affected me now and can affect my family's future. And just cut them away. God of abundance, my Father... I ask that you replace each lie with your truth. Right now. 
right now. I believe the truth that I am successful, that I am prospering. I believe the truth that I am successful and I am prospering because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite the worship band at this point. If you're new with us, we're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so just just focusing on God. It's a time where we're going to sing. It's a time that with our entire being, with everything that we have and everything we are, we're going to just offer it to him. Feel free to stand. Feel free to sit down. Feel free to kneel. Feel free to come up to the front here. There's something about being able to to just step out of your seat and come forward that just kind of helps focus more on God. Feel free to do that. And let's worship together. Give life, you are love.